today we continue our Eastertide sermon series. We're traveling in the footsteps of the apostles following the book of Acts. As we reflect on what it means to live into the resurrection of Jesus, we'll be meeting the first witnesses to this resurrection, and the people at first proclaim this good news. Last week, we walked in the footsteps of Saul and Ananias as we saw how the risen Christ can transform lives and reconcile divided people. Today, we'll walk in the footsteps of Peter and Tabitha as we reflect on what it means to proclaim Christ crucified and risen. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the ninth chapter of Acts, beginning with with the 36th verse. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Back in the 1960s, a study from UCLA was done that sought to measure how much of daily communication is nonverbal. The study found that only 7% of communication had to do with words, leaving 93% of communication to be from things other than the actual words we say. Now, some of this 93%, to be sure, had to do with vocal tone, inflection, and so on. But the point of the study was clear. Much of what we communicate to people has to do with something other than what we say. It can be the amount of eye contact we use, whether our arms are folded, our foot's tapping, and so on. To be sure, words matter. But the studies show that our communication is a lot more than the words we say. The surge of communication through our phones and uh, other devices has left much of these nonverbal clues up to interpretation. When someone sends you a text message that reads, okay, it could read, okay, thanks for letting me know. But it could also just as easily mean, okay, just leave me alone now. What I didn't see when looking at the study is it doesn't really say anything about how we communicate through action. If I were to ask you to please stand for our next hymn, you would communicate that you heard me simply by standing. You wouldn't need to see, say, okay first before doing so. Now, what strikes me about our lesson this morning is just how little talking there is. 
Let's be fair, there's a lot of communicating, but there's very little talking. Luke, the writer of Acts, as well as the Gospel, has proven himself to be a master of dialogue, of capturing conversation between people, of capturing big, important speeches. And so far in Acts, we've seen Peter preach a lot. He preached a lengthy, powerful sermon on Pentecost. He preached in front of the Sanhedrin. But here, Peter doesn't say a whole lot. Just three little words. Tabitha, get up. There's only one other short sentence in the entire reading. And we'll get to these spoken words later, but first we need to meet Tabitha, who's also called Dorcas. Luke identifies her as a disciple. In fact, this is the only time in the whole New Testament that we see the feminine form of the Greek word disciple, mathetes. It's a wonderful coincidence that the story appears in the lectionary on Mother's Day this year. When we celebrate the women in our lives who have nurtured and cared for us, who have mothered us. Tabitha, as we'll see, served as a leader in the church, as a mother to her community, uh, and especially as a mother to this community of widows, a group that was often on the margins of society. You may have noticed also that she is given two names. Tabitha is the Aramaic name. Dorcas is her Greek name. Both have the same meaning, gazelle. This is a significant detail that Luke provides for a number of reasons. The first being that so many characters in the Bible, and even in Luke's own writing, go unnamed. Even important characters go without ever being named. But here, Tabitha is identified with two names. The two names in different languages implies that she was well known among the first Christians. Just like we saw last week with Saul, who is also later referred to as, by his Roman name, Paul. But even more so, it signifies a role that she played in the early church. See, just a couple chapters back in Acts, we see that there was a conflict. A conflict between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Essentially, between Aramaic and Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, likely spoke both languages and therefore may have been seen as a bridge builder between these divided groups and cultures. Now, fitting for the story of Little Dialogue, Luke tells us that she was well-known, not for anything she said, but for her actions. Our text says that she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. I love how the Common English Bible uh, translates this by saying that her life overflowed with good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. I feel like I barely need to say this, friends, but you and I, we know Tabitha. We know her. Every church I have ever served or participated in has had at least one, but more often than not, several Tabithas. Tabitha is a pillar in the church. She is a woman whose deep and abiding faith moved her to care for others in Jesus' name often without any recognition, and usually behind the scenes. We know who Tabitha is. We've we've all met Tabithas in our lives. We learn that her good works and compassion were focused on the widows of her community. 
making them clothing, which to you and me doesn't sound like much. But in this time, clothing was a very valuable but also a very time-consuming practice. She made clothing for widows who were without status in the biblical world. They were on the far margins of society. They were left without property or wealth when their husbands died. But this brief description of an outpouring of compassion leads then immediately to a description of Tabitha's illness and then death. The community of widows has now lost their advocate. They're shocked. Lovingly, they wash and lay her in an upper room. They showcase the tunics and other garments that Tabitha made to remember her compassion towards them. And out of their grief, the widows call upon Peter, saying, please, come to us without delay. So Peter arrives and calls the widows and others out of the room. And perhaps he does this out of his own feeling of being just a little bit overwhelmed. He kneels down and prays, then facing the body, he utters those three words, the only three he says in our story today. Tabitha, get up. At this invitation, her eyes open. She takes Peter's hand and rises. Peter is sure to show the widows and saints the miraculous thing that has occurred. Because of this, the word spreads and many believe. What we have here is a beautiful story of resurrection, of hope, of faithfulness. But what we also have is a profound story of witness, of bearing witness to the resurrected Christ and bearing witness to the new reality, the new creation that has dawned upon our Lord emerging from the tomb. The question that emerges is, who is our main witness to this new resurrected creation? Now, we might say it's Peter. After all, he is the one who raises Tabitha from the dead. The story shows that Peter is confident in Christ's presence empowering him through the Spirit. What's interesting is that just before our story, Peter has healed a man just before in Lydda named Aeneas. And upon healing him, Peter gives the man the same command he gives Tabitha. In Greek, it's anesthete. Arise. Stand up. Get up. Also, to no surprise, this is the very verb that Luke uses to describe the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen. Luke wants us to see Peter as growing in his ability to imitate Christ, moving on from simply healing to now rising someone from the dead. He bears witness that the risen Christ has empowered each of us to go out and heal one another. His witness teaches us to be a community where people can be healed, perhaps literally, perhaps spiritually. We may also say that our primary witness in our story is Tabitha. And we're not just saying that because it's Mother's Day. Though she doesn't have any recorded words, Tabitha bears witness that the risen Christ can proclaim... Sorry, she bears witness that the risen Christ can be proclaimed by actions just as powerfully as through words. Her care for this group of widows in Joppa was known not just in the area or the surrounding region. Her work... Her compassion, her love, these works were known across languages and across nations. She reminds us that acts of compassion can speak as loudly as words in proclaiming 
this new creation, this new resurrection reality. Her ministry provided hope and life to a community that so desperately needed it. While Peter and Tabitha are certainly important witnesses, it seems to me that there's another witness, and one with whom we might better identify. That is the community, the gathered group that Luke calls the widows and saints. After Tabitha's death, this group mourns. They remember her compassion, they prepare her body. But what Luke doesn't tell us, and what Luke doesn't describe, is that this community never anoints her with oil, which is the last practice done in those days to prepare a body for burial. They never anoint her with oil because they maintained hope that death wouldn't have the last word for their beloved Tabitha. So they called with all their hope upon Peter. When Peter arrives, they show him Tabitha's work of love and comfort in making garments. This community teaches us that on this side of the empty tomb, no one is allowed to be a bystander. We're all called to bear witness to the gospel. They remind us that even the most marginalized in our society can be witnesses. That as witness, we are a community of resurrection. We are a community of hope that death is not the end. That all the places where the world's brokenness seem overwhelming, they're not without hope for redemption. That we are called to call upon God's presence to come to us without delay. If you stop for a minute and think about our three witnesses, Peter, Tabitha, and the community, you'll notice a common thread. Each witness brings life out of death. Peter, of course, in raising Tabitha. Tabitha in bringing new life to a community of widows whose experience of death and grief also meant being pushed to the margins of society. And finally, the community of widows and saints who were not willing to accept death as the end. So maybe it's not so much about which character serves as our Easter witness, but instead we are provided three examples to do what we are called to do as Easter Christians, to bring life out of death. As Easter Christians, friends, we are called to bring hope out of fear. We are called to bring love out of hate. We are called to bring peace out of war and violence. We're called to do so through our words, but also through our action. In this way, we bear witness that he is risen, that he is risen indeed. So as we continue on our Easter journey, friends, and as we follow in the footsteps of Peter, Tabitha, and this community, we too are called to bring life out of death in our world today. Like Peter, may we reach out to those in despair and invite them to get up, to stand up, to rise up. Like Tabitha, may we remember that often enough our actions speak louder than words. That we can bring life out of death by our works of compassion and care, especially to those on the fringes of our community. And like the beloved community here, may we maintain hope for life even when everything else around us in the world seems to be crying out death. May we always look to God. May we always ask for God's presence to come to us without delay, that new life may break in, 
that we may be empowered with Easter hope to love and to serve others in Christ's name, even and perhaps especially through our actions of care and love. May it be so, friends. Amen.